Welcome to the Waterways World Podcast, brought to you in association with ABC Leisure Group, operators of hire fleets and marinas around the UK. Hello and welcome to the Waterways World Podcast. I'm Bobby Cowling, the editor of the magazine. And with me for this episode is John Liley, a man who has devoted much of his adult life to boating and the inland waterways. As a teenager, he became involved in early IWA campaigns and even met its founding members, Robert Aikman and Tom Rolt. Later, he developed an interest in sailing and for a period, he was editor of Motorboats and Yachting magazine. He's also written several waterways books, including the very successful Journeys of the Swan, and he's the owner of the luxury hotel barge Lucion on Francis Canal de Nivernais. So we had a lot to discuss, and we begin by hearing John's account of growing up beside the Ashton Canal. Yeah, he was born and spent my early years in Ashton Underline, sort of really grotty. There is then particularly grotty part of Greater Manchester. Yeah. And the Ashton Canal uh, was visible from our back garden. You looked, there were two sets of railway lines at the back, uh, the back garden. Yeah. And then across the valley, almost all the mills, and there were 72 mill chimneys visible, and most of them worked. You know, and uh, so soot was a major problem in the area. There uh, was this grotty canal. Yeah. And uh, we used to play around. I and my pals used to play around it. We didn't know about Robert Aikman having coming through in the middle of all that. His his boat trip was the, so, so what period yes. was this? Well he went through in nineteen forty seven, I think it was. Yeah. A very, very early hire boat which was uh, came from Stone. Um Anyway, that was our knowledge of canals, and uh, they were uh, like most people. We thought they were they were grotty and doomed, and uh, mm-hmm. as that as that canal seemed to be, the yeah. Addersfield Narrow Canal but, uh, was gradually being knocked apart and, and places filled in. So were they, they those the Ashton and the Huddersfield were unnavigable. No, the Ashton was uh, it was. Just navigable. Mm. Anyway, we didn't know much about it like most other people, but Dad um, saw an advertisement in The Guardian, of all things, for a, a hire boat, and it was from uh, the Canal Cruising Company, which still exists in, there at Stone in Staffordshire. Right. And uh, we, it was a tiny little um, strip advertisement, and... Um, Anyway, he booked for a week, and uh, we went um, succession of trains. My parents didn't drive, and trolleybus and trains and so forth. And uh, um, they'd sent us lots of literature, all uh, typed. Uh, just, uh, we had to sign things to say we'd read it and wow. about how to work a lock and, uh, right. and so forth. All, all quite good stuff by any standard. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, we got there, uh, and there were these, um, they had five or six boats, and we had the Angelo, which was named after the wife, the first wife of L.T.C. Rolls, where we didn't know who he was at the time, yeah. and uh, 
What kind of boat was it? It was half a narrow boat. It was the stern of a working boat and then turned around so the stern became the bow and the, the old boatman's cabin um, was the fore part of the boat. And then there was a... Um, and it had... I'm sorry to think of it now because it only broke down as you did occasionally. There was a petrol engine and there was petrol... Sort of dripping out of the carburetor, and the, the cooker was just around the corner in the, the galley. And all that. You know, the, the, people weren't so conscious of such risks in those yeah, days. Yeah. Um, but it, it changed my life. Um, I was not a terribly happy boy, and had asthma and so forth. And yeah, as we went off, First of all, cannoning through the bridges and into the locks, but gradually picking up such things is useful to slow down. Um, uh, we found ourselves, uh, they recommended a route, uh, the Wyatts, and um, it was a circular route uh, into Birmingham. We were very doubtful about that, but they said everybody goes through Birmingham. Um, right. And sure enough, as we approached Birmingham, they were working boats, they were horse drawn boats, and uh, um, quite a lot of pairs of narrowboats, which we later discovered had come up the Grand Union from London and were then working their way back empty to go to the coal fields to take coal to go back. And in Birmingham itself, um, there were lots, lots of horse-drawn boats. I remember seeing a horse galloping with a, an empty narrowboat behind just at the junction. And there was galloping? A, yeah, there was a young guy running and he said, boat coming, mate. And before I could say anything, um, um, and a horse was going home. Uh, It was the end of the working day, and the boat was absolutely flying. And uh, I don't know what real speed, let's say about six six miles an hour. And there were lots of trains of those boats too, carrying rubbish for the local authorities and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, And then the the, the Wyatts didn't know, uh, but the... Hutherton branch had just been closed and we went into that and um, got stuck and um, because the canal had been drained and we didn't know enough to walk down to the far end and close the paddles. So my poor old parents had to pull the boat and my brother and his girlfriend and also my brother pulled and I just steered and uh, somehow or other we got through. But I remember the weed was so thick we couldn't get into the lock. It was about, I'm not exaggerating, two or three feet deep in in uh, duckweed, you know, the little confetti-like stuff. Yeah, yeah. And my brother's girlfriend was uh, um, a, a trained scientist, and she said it's lemnar, and if you get it in the right conditions, which have plainly been around, it multiplies four times in a day. Wow. Stuff. So anyway, we got through the Hudson branch, and then we had time to go to the Shropshire Union, um, but the main thing is, I, I was absolutely bowled over by all this. How old were you at this point? Oh, um, hang on. I was a very small 14-year-old. I had a very sheltered life, really. But here was this the great thing about it. We, 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 we took successive holidays for about three or four years after that. A great feature... Was, there was this alternative world. And when in the next year we, we strayed into the Grand Union Canal where the traffic was continuous, um, uh, it was a very busy commercial world. We went through Hawkesbury Junction where I'm, 
I, I wrote down the names of all the boats. I think there were something like 70 or 80 of them all waiting to, to load. And uh, there was a constant show going on as loaded pairs came down to the junction out to negotiate the 180-degree turn there. Um, so were most of the boats on the water then working boats? Working boats, So yes. you were very much in the minority? Very, you? very few. Um, and that actually, one of the great attractions was this is an alternative world, which most people didn't know about. Mm. And you, you took it as you found it. You, there were no, there were no uh, concessions uh, to the visitor, you know. There was nothing like today that, you know, notices which in effect say, welcome to the canals. In fact, it was the opposite. You, you'd see a pub and it would be, it would be fenced off from the canal because they, uh, they'd long ago given up. The working boat people wouldn't stop there. They would stop at certain pubs, but not many. Um, and so the canal was, even where there was uh, considerable working traffic, the locals didn't really want to know or know about it. We saw various dignitaries, including Joe Skinner, who was the last of the number ones. He had a whole strong boat. Um, and he, was, he went down to Banbury with coal and all that sort of thing. My brother um, had got, got hold of a copy of the Architectural Review in which Eric Damari had explored the canals. And it was later published as a book, The Canals of England. And uh, uh, came a time when mum and dad were too old to want to go on canals. Uh, my brother had other things to do. Um, so we'd spent a lot of time considering having our own narrow boat and, and did elaborate drawings and measured the Angela. Who was this? Was this you? Me, me and my brother. You uh, and your brother. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was uh, 10 years older than me and um, uh, trained to be an architect and, uh, uh, you know, had a bit of a design sense. But it, it just dawned on us that we just didn't have the money. Um, uh, to, uh, uh, oh, I remember the Wyvern Shipping Company was were getting out of trade and uh, subsequently became a harbour company. Um, but they had two boats for sale, so I wrote to them. I've got the letter somewhere. And uh, the cheapest one, I think, was the Butty, was £500, which then was a, a massive sum, mm. about a third of the value of a house and uh, and um, also it had something like, like needs some attention at the forward end or something like that and they were made of wood these boats we all thought in terms of wood and uh, uh, so I bought a canoe oh that was your first boat then yeah and I had, we moved here we moved here and I kept it down the garden. So we, this and, is, we're just saying we're by the uh, the Macclesfield Canal at yeah, Barrington. At the yeah, moment. well, it was yeah. just a fluke. Our parents bought this house, and um, and I and I had a folding trolley, and I used to push it up the the road here to the, the bridge where you moored and put it in. Uh, and first of all, I explored the Macclesfield, then with various pals. Did complicated expeditions, went down through Harecastle and still electric tug, towing boats through, working boats, uh, the Colden, went up the Rudyard Feeder, um, went into Rudyard Lake, got chased by the Warden, um, 
uh, managed to sort of, had a, a British Waterways license that rather confused him actually, and we went and camped at the far Fallon now, went and camped at the uh, upper end of, of Radyard Lake, and then the following morning we could see him approaching with his rowing boat, so we, <laughs> we cast off and disappeared into the feeder. Uh, wound our way up, we'd come up the feeder below the dam, this is the feeder which feeds water into the uh, Red Yard Lake, I went and saw it the other day, it's all overgrown now, and mm. in bad order. Um, anyway, went a long way up that and there, and studying the map, found that if we pushed the canoe on a trolley for a mile, we could pick up another feeder which ran back into the Macclesfield Canal at Bosley, which is what we did. So we did, in effect, a circular trip. Right. And he never uh, caught up with you? No, no. Ah. <laughs> yeah. um, and we went to... We were very keen members of the Inland Waterways Association. Robert Aikman wrote these polemics every three months, you know, absolutely tore into the government and, and British waterways with some justification in our, our view. Mm. And uh, we went to two rallies. We went to one at Lincoln, going down the Trent. And the awful thing about the canoe license, it was very cheap, but we weren't allowed to go through locks unless um, there was somebody else going through. And this was a real drag. And on, on, we overpacked the canoe and the, the trolley broke under the weight and the, we'd have to unpack things. And then I remember an episode at Hall Green, the, the, the stop lock at the bottom end of the Macclesfield Canal. We couldn't get round the upper gate because the lock beam uh, ran too close to the wall, so we had to unpack the canoe again. And later on on the trip down the Cheshire Locks, you know, I think there's... Don't know how many there are, an awful lot. Yeah, yeah. You never knew how far the next lock was, and your towpath was horrible and almost non-existent. <laughs> you didn't know how to unpack the canoe or or, or, or carry on on the trolley, yeah. and it would rain. It always rained in these uh, sorties. And after that, we got a bit fed up with canoeing on canals because fast rivers are much more fun. So yeah, we, did, yeah. we did the seven and the Eden and the, and. Then, after several years, um, interest in canals, I wouldn't say it fizzled out, but uh, we moved on. My brother was living in London and getting a salary, and, um, and he was attracted to sailing. And we, he, I had a, a £25 share that cost several hundred pounds, but he and another guy ran the little sailing boat um, down in the Kent Marshes, um, near Faversham, North okay. Kent. Um, so we took up sailing, um, uh, and which is totally unlike sailing now. The word marina wasn't known in in England. Mm. Apparently, it was there was a hint of it in America, but. Um, the same as on the canals, you more or less leave a boat where you found it. In our sailing days, we'd go, we sailed over to Calais and to Ostend and all the way along the south coast in this tiny little boat. Uh -huh. It's only 18 feet, six inches long. And uh, we'd give the harbour master at New Haven a 10 bob note, that's about 50 pence, to keep an eye on the boat while we the next week. And the great thing was, we didn't still didn't drive, my brother didn't drive. so. That 
once you once you're car dependent with a boat, it limits you. You you aim to get back to the car, or you spend a lot of time, lot of time shuffling the car. Yeah. And when you're sailing, you're never sure where you're going to finish up because the wind changes. So um, uh, we did an awful lot of exploration for this boat, and um, and I qualified by then. Went to uni, travelled by steam train along the railway here. Oh, right. And uh, <clears throat> my dad had died and I kept my mum company. I, I did have digs in Manchester for a spell, but um, came from here. So I qualified as an, uh, an engineer, got an engineering degree, but it only, I only gradually discovered what engineering was and um, didn't like it, particularly the spells. In, in industry, and I worked in, the, um, oh, I worked in a paper mill and an aircraft factory by the Humber. It was just mildly interesting. Well, it was more than mildly interesting. But you know, I was I was just a junior in the dog's body. Um, oh, and I went to um, an engineering company in Ipswich, and um, they're all. Shockingly badly run, these mm. businesses, in my observation. Um, British management, I hope it's better now, but the communication with the workforce <laughs> was poor mm. and being charitable. And uh, most of the work, you had to get there, in one case, uh, 7.30 in the morning, mm. work through to something to five with a break for lunch. And in my observation, all the work was done in the morning. The afternoon was messing about yeah um not for everybody i'm sure but an awful lot of time was misspent sure. and uh and i thought i don't want to go and spend a lifetime in this and uh, so i took other casual jobs i worked in the local brickworks i worked in the ice cream factory the walls had and uh and i'd go to the library and look um uh, the advertisements for jobs, and one was for um, for a, yacht, a, a guy who delivered yachts on their own bottom, you know, sailed them and motored them. And he said uh, something like, amateur crew required for interesting voyages or something like wow, that. Amateur meant unpaid, but, um, you know, I thought, uh, as I was saying to you last night, I thought... Uh, um, millionaires spend money going yachting, you know, I do this. So I signed up and uh, and I was very, very lucky. He was a great guy and he, he had more experience in yachting than anybody else I ever met. And he, he'd come out of the army at the end of the war and uh, had a holiday on the Norfolk Broads and thought, this is, he'd rather like to do that as a trade. Yeah. And he got this idea to move people's yachts. And by then he'd been in the business ooh, 12, 14 years and he'd been across the Atlantic many times. I asked him how many times he'd been to Gibraltar and he said um, he'd counted up to 80 but he'd lost some of his notebooks and, uh, so he didn't know exactly. Mm. I was, and uh, I worked for him for 18 months. So were you uh, moving boats on the, from... from uh, the Mediterranean to the first trip was from the south of France to um, Southampton War to the Solent right. via Gibraltar 
and it was in March, and there were headwinds all the way. And in the Mediterranean, it's, it's a very dodgy sea because all the land masses cool up and cool down, so you never quite know when the winds are going yeah. to come. And if I could have got off with dignity at Gibraltar, I would have walked away and never gone back. Yeah. But I, I couldn't, and we, we came up and uh, got to the top end of Portugal and a huge gale <laughs> propelled us across the Bay of Biscay, and it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the night, it was terrifying. And the next day, we were riding up on these swells, huge seas, uh, with waves with waves on them, and... Uh, and had hardly any sailor, but at the top of the, the, the seas, you caught the wind. Yeah. Uh, at the bottom, there was no wind at all. <laughs> and I remember meeting a, a German freighter coming the other way, a big steamship, and going really slowly, and it was pitching, and the propeller was coming out of the water. I remember uh, exchanging waves with the seamen on the bridge, and we were both obviously. God, what the hell are we doing out here in this? You know? But at the very end, when we got into uh, into um, the Solent, uh, it was Bewley River we went to, and uh, the boat uh, belonged to some aristocrat, and he, he, he treated us to lunch. Oh, he paid for us to have lunch. And by then, there were just the three of us, but our appetites were enormous. And yeah. we had a very nice meal, but it's a bit small. And they, she brought out the cheese, which is a huge cheese, but she cut off very small, small slices. And we persuaded her to leave the plate of cheese on the table. And when she finally came back, it had all gone. We <laughs> completely finished it. And Pete, my boss, drove into the station and he said to me, um, well, he said that was a really rough trip. Not all like that. He said, "Would you like to come again?" And I said, "Yes." <laughs> and, and so then, in the waterways, were uh, the back of my mind, I went all over the place. Later. So, so you were seafaring for for a long, for a long time. time. Did, yeah. that, did that replace your love of the inland waterways? Oh, I thought uh, in the waterways. I talked to my brother. We thought they'd had it. Oh, really? Yeah. So you had a, a period of. Initial enthusiasm, and then... Yeah, but we thought, then, we knew this couldn't go on. We could see in the newspapers that um, canals were being closed and so forth. Um, and we thought, uh, we, we thought, I think, we, to be honest, we thought we'd move to better things. But actually, now, later, when I've had a career in canals, I've relished being able to go to bed at night without some bastard waking me up at quarter to two in the morning. <laughs> so it's my turn to go and take the helm and, uh, yeah, yeah. and they'd get up and they'd say, why, why, why have you got so much sail up? And they'd say, well, the wind's just got up. And, <laughs> and, and I would say, and what about that ship there coming towards us very close? <laughs> just see the lights of it. And, and they'd say, what ship? <laughs> so... Uh, um, I remember those times now, and, uh, and sailing is strange, so like, like all forms of boating, it has its wonderful moments, and it has its awful moments, and there's a spread in between, 
of um, so so um, yeah. voting. Uh, when did you go back to the water? Well, um, I went. I didn't know what to do. I went to the Vocational Guidance Association. I made. I delivered a couple of boats in my own. One was an absolutely horror trip. The boat fell apart when I got her there. That was from North Lancashire to the Solent. Um, the boat was called the Crisis. It was known as the Crisis to us. The sails were rotten and the hull was leaking and the engine backed up. Right, that doesn't sound okay. Yeah. Yeah. How much about marine sailors? Uh, well, the main thing, uh, the combination. Uh, there, are, there, there are certain parts of the coastline that just don't have many havens. Yeah. <laughs> the other bits, which, you know, they're plentiful. Uh, but if you come down past Wales, and particularly if you get between the tip of Wales and uh, Land's End, there's not very much at all. So you just have to weather it, keep yeah, going. Yeah. Um, I went to the Vocational Guidance Association, said I didn't like engineering, but he said, the guy, after I'd filled in all their charts and odd questions, he said, you've, um, you've got an engineering degree and you seem to have some aptitude for writing and um, I'm not quite sure what writing had done I'd written an article in the Guard- for the Guardian about sailing to Calais and that kind of thing Yeah. Um, so he said um, try to get a job with an engineering magazine so I did oh. and that was boring um, <laughs> you, could, uh, you could do your, your month's work in a week actually but you had to be there and wear a suit and be nice to the managing director and all that. Oh, okay. uh, so in the end, I left, and uh, and I got a job. Um, I nearly didn't reply. Was, I, I decided to hitchhike to Greece because I'd been to Greece in one of our yacht delivery trips, and it was magical. Hmm. And uh, uh, hitchhiked and went to Corfu, which then had no airport, didn't have any motor vehicles, only a bus, <laughs> and it was so. Wonderful. I've never wanted to go since, since I've read that it now has an airport and it's a popular yeah, place. Yeah, you're, you're in, um, but I thought I would hitchhike to Greece and I, and I replied to this advertisement and said, uh, um, prestigious yachting magazines looking for staff or something like that. And I said, well, I, I, I can't uh, um, come right now. Um, I'm just off to Greece. To be, uh, uh, I won't be back for four weeks. And, when I came back, he said he'd still like to see me. And I wrote again, I'm appalled to think of this now. I said, I can't come now. I've arranged with some friends to go camping in Ireland. <laughs> and, and they still wanted to see me after that. And wow. it, it was motorboat and yachting, which then had taken a thoroughly mistaken course, but it suited me, as it turned out, to cover all kinds of boating. Including inland motorway. They had always, Motorboat and Yachting had been a motorboating magazine and had put in the odd article saying the waterways were neglected and this would be better, but not very often. Yeah, yeah. Um, But the theory was um, people were getting richer. They now had, there was now leisure. Disposable income. Yeah, that's the term, yes. And young people, you know, for the first time, were able to uh, indulge. Mm. Um, it was a big change from my childhood. You know, it wasn't really leisure in any reasonable quantity. 
Um, so that was the idea. And, but nonetheless, the editor was Commander Errol Bruce, who had been a, who was a renowned ocean racing yachtsman. Mm. Sailed in the Bermuda race and uh, America, had association with America's Cup. He sailed across the Atlantic. Real, real, uh, and he'd been a submarine commander. He'd, okay. been, he'd been depth charged on his first operational mission by an, an American aircraft, actually. Right. And um, damaged his back. He said yeah. to me, he said, but for that little accident, you know, I wouldn't be here now because. Well, people of his age, I think he was only 21 when he was just commander of a submarine, all his pals died. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, I got the job because I'd been sailing and I could I could come up with various experiences yeah. of sailing, although we'd move motorboats as well. So I suppose on paper I looked okay, supposedly an engineer that I'm not. Yeah. And uh, uh, done boating. And, and could at least put down a sentence or two occasionally. It's not, yeah, uh, not everybody yeah. could. Um, and uh, so this was in 1963, and I was amazed to find the canals are still still there. You, would you have anticipated that they would have gone? Yeah, I thought I thought there'd be the odd one um, uh, rotting gently, on the odd one, mm. and the, the Thames would have be all right, yeah. the Norfolk Broads would be all right, um, but canals not. But as I was uh, explaining last night, there was no respectability to canal uh, enthusiasm. It was a, a niche uh, interest. And uh, there were no, they were referred to occasionally in newspapers, unhappily often if there'd been a child drowning or something like that, or they were considered um, worthy of the council filling in. Um, uh, but there, were, there was no, um, nothing like Waterways World, particularly. No. But, uh, very unusually, there might be an article in the supplement for a, a weekend newspaper, Sunday Times perhaps might do a little something, but. Um, it wasn't known and we were I found in short order I was on the staff of this magazine trying to fill it we, we had to, we, through some crazy initiative we came out every two weeks right. and the printers didn't like that and the um, it was all the other magazines rather weekly or monthly and uh, um, so we had a a hell of a rush one week and a week to recover, then another panic, and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's how it went on. And we were always short of material because the motorboating fraternity didn't travel. They didn't actually take their motorboats out. Uh, very, very few of them did. What did they do then? Oh, they sat in harbours. Oh, they, oh, they, oh, really? oh, they'd be yeah. on the Thames and have rallies, and they would be... Rather, people showing how rich they were to other other rich, people. Rich people, yeah. Yeah, it was a bit, bit of that. Um, but when I was a sailing fraternity, we were all gung ho and going all over the place and having competitions and things. So there was a lot of sailing material, but very very little. And by a fluke, uh, I was uh, my my brother lived in West London, and in the house next door. And they took in lodgers, 
And one of them, I met him at a party, he said, I'm, I'm, he said, I'm buying an Arabout. And I said, oh, really? I don't know what they are. And he said, yes, he said, it's a bit rough. And it'll be fun for a while. And it was the Swan, the Marabout Swan, the old working boat. And, uh, uh, and it was all he could afford. And he and she was for sale at um, Braunston. Oh, yeah. Michael Street had taken yeah. up the, um, who later became a close friend of mine, um, he'd taken over the boat base there. And John had been, my friend John Sheldon had been to look at the various boats and found them all too expensive. But Mike said, well, there is one other. And there was a swan which had recently sank, not for the first time. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the hull was corroded and so on. Anyway, an agreement was reached by which uh, the, the hole would be patched up, strips of metal where it was really badly rusted. And, uh, and John, who was an engineer, um, worked for the Admiralty as such, um, uh, looked forward to getting the great single cylinder engine going, which it did. It was a marvellous noise, you know, sort of popping noise that they made. Yeah, yeah, there. I know. And, uh, and you had to start it by lighting a blow lamp and uh, having that for going for eight minutes and so I had to start it with a, a, a rope to a stud and the flywheel I mean, starting the thing was a major experience. What about the uh, inter interior? Oh, it was okay. rough. The boatman's cabin just about was okay. I think John put some hardboard on, over the roof or something. Right. But the stove was going, so, you know, the great... Cozy experience in the evening of sitting and warming your hands on the stove. That was an, and, uh, you were denied that pleasure even. Oh no no no! Oh. We, no we, we, we loved it actually. Oh, you could do it. The stove yeah, was yeah. Okay. And later on, when there were more of us, we would sleep in the holds. But as the boat grew older, the holds started filled with water, but it only filled out from the back end. So if we put planks across over us with the canvas on it. Um, we could sort of avoid the, 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 the water in the hole. Okay. And uh, went on a trip. He said, John said he'd go on a, a circular trip, and uh, we did. And uh, What was the route then? Oh, he came from, he'd found a place, uh, Cowley, near Axbridge, to leave, to moor the boat. Mm -hmm. So we did Grand Union, um, oh, crikey, I can't remember, shops through Birmingham, I think. Well, the rest were done. Uh, Shropshire Union, across the Trenton Mersey, back down Trenton Mersey into the Leicester section of the Grand Union and back. Um, mm -hmm. I think we stopped short of coming back, ran out of time, but subsequent weekend we did it. But this was a gold mine for me because the magazine desperately needed motivating copy. Mm. And uh, off we went and they, they packed the, the layout guy had got the job because he'd been a, a, a seaman on the shop submarine, so the editor could have identified with him or vice versa. Um, he, he got quite enthusiastic, so he did a big he did a big picture spread of me scowling at the camera at the helm of this boat and and several pages and uh, and. It was the start of what became eight articles that really stretched it out. Actually, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. 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 And it became uh, this became your book, um, Journeys of the Swan. It did eventually, yes. Um, 
But the most notable thing was the reaction from the readers. The, um, I think the, the terms motor yacht club people were a bit taken aback, but we still covered them a bit. And, uh, uh, but there was an awful lot of correspondence. I got stuff from Robert Aitman. I went to see Robert Aitman. Did you? I had supper with him several times. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what did you um, What did you make of him? Well, I admired him uh, through his writing, and I'd met him once or twice in our when we canoed to those rallies because I met and I got when you were on the dinkies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, we got we got a prize each time for the most worthy canoe journey or something like that. <laughs> the famous travel time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, um, so I met him and I knew who he was uh, and he latched on to me really because he saw the magazine first time really any um, periodical, any accepted periodical, was really doing serious stuff on waterways mm. you know, and I was beginning to pick up the various iniquities of the administration and so forth and uh, um, uh, the, the following year we did another series in this one and by then I found I found I was an authority you know and thought mm. it was strangely become one <laughs> yeah and uh, Robert would write and put me right if I got things wrong and uh, but I remember John Teal, who <coughs> was a trained naval architect who was on the staff when I joined. And he, he, uh, the first time canals came up in conversation, he said, don't touch canals, they're always trouble. And, uh, and they were, my predecessor had been sacked because he, he was a um, chap called Mike Baldy who um, ran a boating business subsequently from Berkhamstead. Uh, he, com he committed a what was alleged to be a libel. It wasn't, actually. But, uh, um, it was an excuse to get rid of him. He, mm. he wasn't fitting in. I see. I realised that later. Mm. Um, he'd libelled... Um, he condemned British waterways, which Robert Aitman did every time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, this had appeared to motor about yachting. And Mr Ives, who was the secretary of the... Um, there was the Transport Commission then that ran British Waterways, um, um, contrived to say that uh, this this impugned his own capability, I think it was. Right, uh, right. And the management were frightened to death by this and uh, didn't want to be involved, as the managements never are in, in libel and that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, um, and poor old White got the boot. But... Uh, uh, I, I spoke to Robert Aitman about it, and he said, oh, he said, I got letters from him too. So I said, what do you do with them? He said, threw them in the bin. Mm. And uh, <laughs> that was the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was um, a difficult man to get on with. Um, uh, highly intelligent. Um, he... he Started the association with LTC Reld, mm. who was a much nicer guy. I met him once for about five minutes. Um, and he was a, um, Tom Reld was a close friend of my friend, Mike Street, who was running the Bronson. Yeah. So I used to get a lot of gossip uh, about all, oh, the, all this. 
Mike, Mike Street had been on the committee in the Waterways Association on their periodic meetings. Basically, Robert Aitman wanted to run the whole show himself, really, as he, he was capable of doing, I have to say. Yeah. But he had to have periodic meetings, so there were rows. And Mike said he used to come out of these meetings and stagger home and take several sleeping pills and lie on, on the back on the bed and say, say to himself, they're all mad, these bangers, <laughs> aren't they? Did you notice from when you first went on the waterways in your canoe and then to returning for the features that you yes. made for the magazine, that, that, did you notice any major changes there in the... In the I mean, I was thinking that working traffic must have died off by um, the well, mid-60s. Well, Mike Street ran the last regular traffic. He, when he was bought, that Willow Wren, was it? No, no, Willow Wren. Oh, Blue Line, sorry. Blue Line, yeah. yes. It, Mike had, had started with a hotel boat, pair of boats with his wife, Pat, and uh, then they branched out and got camping boats, and then they'd found they could get the old Rawson complex. They had to find financial backers, but mm. his accountant, John Humphreys, did that, found him the backing. And uh, so Mike, he had many a tale of, of looking after the boat people. They were um, really odd bunch. They were, um, finished up with three pairs of boats. Mm-hmm. And on the jam hole run, as it was known, carrying coal from Atherston down to this factory and, uh, just outside London and back. And actually, a young guy who were they always moored in the same places um, when they stopped. Um, the, uh, the Collinses uh, had a pair of boats, um, another couple whose name escapes me, but they'll come to me in a moment. Uh, they moored together and the third pair moored separately. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm terribly bad with names, it's a consequence of age. Uh, the Collinses, the Brays. The Brays, oh, yes. the Brays. And what was the other family? Uh, Whit- Whitlocks. Oh, yes. The Whitlocks. Brays, Brays, Whitlocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Mike Street, he was always, he said, he was always. Wondering whether he was going to survive the week, and the bank manager wanted to see him, and then some crisis used to erupt amongst the working boat right. people. A woman would appear in the shawl and in tears and say, My husband's left me, Mr. Streaks. And that um, her partner had gone off up the towpath in the sulk, usually. And uh, Mike used to have to say, Well, the way you treat him, you shouldn't be surprised. So he, he turned to me once and said, He said, It's an advance on wages, that's what she's after. Nice. And uh, anyway, this young guy who was working as a trainee shipwright there um, said to me one day, Arthur Ray was going past, and he said, Oh, hello, Arthur. Um, uh, uh, I've got a screwdriver here that Bill Whitlock lent me. Can you take it back to him? And he drew himself up straight and said, uh, I've not spoken to him for the last 19 years and I'm not going to start now. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's three pairs of boats. There's been this seething hatred between them all.
Waterways World has been Britain's best-selling canals and rivers magazine since 1972. In each monthly issue, you'll find the latest waterway news, practical advice on boat buying and boat ownership, reviews of the latest craft and equipment, a pull-out cruising guide to help you plan your next trip, first-hand accounts of Waterways Live, and insights into the history and heritage of our canals and rivers. For subscription offers, visit waterwaysworld.com, where you'll also find a searchable magazine archive, our interactive Ask an Expert Advice section, and our Boat Search feature, the most comprehensive listing of canal boats for sale you'll find online. That's waterwaysworld.com. Later on, um, uh, I went. To, I thought I had to leave. My, I became the editor. I was editor for five years, and I just got boring. So many rounds of management, and uh, you know, it wasn't me putting the magazine together anymore. It was the assistant editor who was doing all that. Uh, so uh, uh, I thought I'd, I ought to leave, and I couldn't do it forever. And uh, so I had to give six months' notice mm. to leave. Mm. So I could never get another job before handing in my notice. And it became eight months, actually, because they couldn't find anybody else to do it for a fit. Um, and I thought the project would be to take my the barge, which I bought from Michael Street, and brought round... Um, I bought her in Leicester, but I brought her round, round the, the, the coast to the Thames. Mm. One of the most dangerous voyages I've ever done in my life. And I've been uh, it's totally on a seaworthy boat. Um, and I thought, I'll take this to France and uh, explore there. How did you get it to France? Oh, we went across in a calm day. Uh, oh, you do, so you, you channel hopped as well, yeah? Yeah. Mike Street had... Uh, um, I'd spent two long summers in France exploring the French waterways. I got to know Mike Street very, very well. Uh, been on, been to the Midi several times. Then, by then, he'd sold me the boat, the Arthur, I called her. I've got a son named Arthur. He's looking in a bit later on. Okay. Um, he he sold me the boat, and then he was getting really cheesed off. Uh, with the business and the, the, it was all running in the midi, but uh, he he wanted a break. So the second summer, I spent three months in, uh, out in the Arthur in France with Michael. I mean, actually, we went down the Moselle to Germany and into the Netherlands with mm -hmm. the boat. Um, and, and then later, uh, I was offered a job editing a new boating magazine um, which practical boat owner was going to start, and um, I used to go over it for long weekends to the Netherlands to the Arthur. It was a super place for boating in the Netherlands. Mm. Okay. So I, I I wanted to start our business in the Netherlands, but when I tried it, I had to find backers and for the hotel boat, and uh, uh, people weren't grabbed by the idea of the Netherlands. Whereas France, they thought of food and sun and it's part of that aspirational yeah, quality. Yeah. I'd yeah. like to talk, come on to you, to the Lucille, but I just want to also talk about your writing career, John. Because um, your first book was Journeys with the Swan. Journeys with the Swan, yes. 
That was published in 71. The idea was just to put the articles together and uh, uh, the firm was going to publish it and then they didn't. And um, I, uh, I then sort of expanded it a bit and tidied it up a bit. Mm. It still horrifies me now, bits of it. <laughs> I can't. But where did, where did you get it? Where was it published? Well, I, I wrote to George Allen and Unwin, who were major mm. publishers, um, and it took them forever and a day, but they wrote back and said, yes, we'd like to do it. Wow, that must, been, that must have been very yeah. exciting. Um, yeah, but it, it, they published Lord of the Rings and so forth. They also published the, um, the Contiki Expedition, which was a big seller at the end of World War II, in which Tor Heyerdahl, um, Norwegian, uh, um, he... he following some theory of where um, uh, the ethnic people had travelled in the Pacific, he sailed in a balsa wood raft called the Contiki. Mm. And a very ironic thing was when Journeys of the Swan was published, um, they weren't going to do very much um, promotion. But Mike Street and I thought, well, we'd better push it ourselves. So mm. we, we got the Arthur into the Little Venice and got John Sheldon to get the swan into Little Venice and we invited everyone under the sun. We filled the, the Arthur with uh, booze and uh, we took um, uh, people from newspapers and people from the BBC on the swan through the tunnel and with the engine honking away and how the trumpet was used as a warning signal. And uh, they, I knew we were in trouble when I saw the BBC producer's notes floating in the water oh, because okay. the secretary had got thoroughly pissed. And uh, uh, they all had a great time, uh, the people. But um, there was a broadcast about my book the following morning by Jack DeManio, who ran the, the Today programme at the time. And he got everything oh, BBC wrong. Radio 4? Yeah, 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 yeah. He got my name wrong. He got the name of the boat wrong. He called yeah. it Susan. And Did he get the book right? Um, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> anyway, I, I went to. I, I, there was a reception for Thor Eyadal uh, at the same time. That was the big book. It was being, he, he'd done another book on a. He built a boat called the Ra, sailing from Egypt, and he was doing what the ancient Egyptians might have done. I can't remember the details. But I found myself talking to Thor Eyadal, who was this world famous traveller. I know I was telling him about the swan. He said, really? He said, does it? And, he said, and you've just got the one cylinder engine. And, you, and you, he said, it sounds fantastic. Probably <laughs> <laughs> sounds a lot less hard work for him. Yeah, he was a thoroughly nice man, actually. Yeah. How did the book do? Oh, all right. Um, got a few reviews. But the... It's been republished a few times, hasn't it? Over the oh yeah, it's been republished in waterway circles. Mm. Um, now to try and get a, a waterway book taken by a mainline uh, publisher, very very difficult. The last one was the, uh, um, the Narrow Dog. Yeah, he, he managed to persuade the publishers that taking an boat across the channel was you know, a big deal. Mm. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, Oh, I, I've I've written stuff, um, trying to get it published. Uh, um, you, you get nowhere, and no. you, you, I'm, I'm I'm sort of pre 
I'm generation free self-publishing and all that. I haven't got the mental energy to do get all that going. All my other books have been published by very small time people. Mm. So um, the thing about Journeys of the Swan, oh, and my second book, uh, France the Quiet Way, which I put together from all the trips I've done in France. Um, at that time, Stanford, mainly map publishers, uh, were, were going to go into um, boating and yachting publishing, so they published it. And the big thing that they had is they had all these reps going into the shops um, uh, to keep them stocked up with the maps. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and the same thing with Journeys to the Swan. Alan and Anwin were a respected name, and they would have they would have reps going around looking into the shops, and the shops would would take a few copies. Mm. Whereas if I I've tried it with books, I've more or less got self published and going into shops and they don't know who I am and they they don't take them you know, yeah. um, they more or less say oh it's not another book is it what was it you say you're embarrassed about uh, journeys with this oh um, silly adjectives and uh, various things style I suppose yeah uh, that one thing I haven't talked about I've just made a note of it uh, the pleasure boats which were around um, uh, nowadays steel hull narrowboats uh, not quite but almost the norm but in our, when we went round with the Swan um, and certainly in the earlier days when we went from Canal Cruising Company wasn't like that at all converted, li- um, converted lifeboats and um, Ex-army pontoons. You could get one for a fiver, and you build a sort of hut on it, and have a little seagull outboard. And seagull is the noisiest outboard motor ever invented. <laughs> and uh, you'd see these weaving down the canal because the wind used to catch them, okay, so <laughs> push them into the bushes. They can't handle them well. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. And that went on. And when Mike. Uh, um, set up his hireboat company in, in the Midi. Um, he, four, he had six boats, and the four of them were dolphin plywood cruisers. And that was quite common. Um, I've got a photograph somewhere of when we took the Arthur up to Stoke Bruin, and the Arthur is there, but all the, most of the other boats, they're not steel hull narrowboats. They're, they're, they're plywood cruisers, or a gas driver, maybe. Right. And... Um, another friend, John Stothert, who ran uh, the company and Shops Union Canal. Where's that junction on the Shops Union Canal, part way up in Norbury? Yeah, he ran the Harbour Company there, and uh, he he thought there was um, a future in in narrowboats for steel narrowboats for leisure. And he went to evening classes in welding and made one. Mm. And um, Harry Arnold worked for him at the time. And I, I went to the introductory trip of one of these. It wasn't that bad, actually. It was not that dissimilar to the boat which were followed. Mm. But that more or less, I, mean, I think that was probably the first. But uh, until then, 
we used to get it quite often at motorboat yachting. People had, would come up with a, a boat for the canals and, uh, and uh, you could see it was unsuitable. So what's the story with Lucille then? Oh, well, I, I was speaking last night. Is that how you pronounce it? Lucille, it's the French for fly, firefly. Ah. It's also the French for Lady of the Night. I didn't know that when I chose the name. That makes it even more. <laughs> yeah, not keep a smile. <laughs> um, someone preceded, well, several people preceded me um, uh, in running hotel boats in France. And I started with one, one I bought in the Netherlands when I realised I'd been given money. I'd been taken on for a new boating magazine, but uh, the boating magazine collapsed because there was a recession and they, the management gave me six months' salary to go away. Oh. And uh, I didn't know what to do with the money. There was 25 to 30% inflation at the time. Terrifying. Sit at home, unemployed listening to people giving themselves pay rises. What period was this? Mm, early 1970s. Right, yeah. Doctors got 38%. Wow. Yeah. And trade unionists were arguing about this. And I, I, I needed to put my money into something. I didn't have a house or any such, no means of getting one. And, uh, uh, but I knew there were these barges for sale in the Netherlands. The, the government was paying people to get out of trade to um, uh, they, if you, your barge is less than 300 tons they, they would either give you money um, or to scrap the barge or you could sell it out of the country I bought one that was sold out of the country a very attractive boat actually uh, called the Secunda uh, 150 tons I brought her over to England towing the Arthur because <laughs> the Arthur back brought the Arthur back and took it up to Bronson again. Um, and I took the seconder to Malden in Essex and found some backers. God knows how I did, but because um, I spent all my money on that boat. Mm. And, um, and it costs a whole lot more than my costings, and we nearly went bust for several reasons. One was we didn't put lavatories in. To get the main clientele for hotel boats in the continent is from the United States. Yes. Uh, which makes a very vulnerable thing to things like uh, the Iraq war when Americans decide not to come. Mm. And the, the, the one thing we had to have was lavatories all over the place, one for each cabin, and we didn't. We, we were still old-fashioned. People said it couldn't be done, but an American came along and built boats, which did have them. Um, it went bust later, but that's uh, another story. But when I first started at Motorboat Nothing, I was a new boy, and I was saying last night, someone came into the front entrance, and the commissioner, and many magazines in this building, rang to say, there's somebody, uh, I'd like to see someone from the staff at Motorboat Nothing. And the staff were all busy, it was press day, I was just new. So I was the guy who sent down to see him. And it was a guy called Richard Parsons, who had fitted out a barge as a hotel barge in France. Well, were we interested? Could we give him publicity? Right. 
I was even negligible publicity, I think we put it in a note somewhere, but uh, we always felt guilty about that because the boat that he was building is the Lucille. Oh, wow. I subsequently bought her. He's a close friend of mine. Right. Was yeah. he on the Nivernay when he came in? Oh, uh, no, he was... Um, if you'd given me a bit more time, I could have dug out pictures of all this. But, um, no, he'd... Um, He'd been involved in the English canals. He'd been involved in the, the famous Starbridge rally when British waterways said to people shouldn't dredge their own canal. And David Hutchings had come along, and, and Mr. Ives, who had sued our guy, our magazine for, for libel, was there with a policeman, and then uh, the digger was there all poised, and David Hutchings. Hutchins waved his arm and the digger released itself and splashed them with water and mud. And there was some sort of hoo-ha about it all. But Richard had been involved in all that. And then he, he got romantically involved in France and uh, it appealed to him. Um, same with Mike Street. Mike Street always said the thing which took him to France was he, he got, just got demobbed from the armed forces and he was standing on a French country railway station and a steam express came through on the middle track and he said there was this giant locomotive with a steam wafting back and he said this thing was absolutely roasting down the line and leaning out of the cab was the driver who was in a... Uh, a berry and goggles and had a silk scarf streamed in <laughs> and he said, for me, darling, for this, this is to appeal to his romantic sense and all those old French movies he'd been watching. So he always... That's perfectly understandable. Yeah. You've tr obviously seen lots of waterways, not only here, but that sounds like quite a lot of well, the places, many places I've not been to. Oh, um, sure, well, yeah. everybody, for most people, that's the case. But do you have any particular favourite stretches of waterway or any that you can kind of consider, do you consider like the Ashton your home waterway? Or The great hit with me um, was when I'm leaving France, uh, I'd, I'd invited uh, family members. I invited... And then Mike and I invited every week a group of people. We charged them their share of food and drink and the fuel. And the first year we charged them a fiver each extra, and the second year we charged them ten pounds. We made a small profit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, taking my elderly mother and uh, uh, granddaughters and uh, on the Nivernais and so forth. And my brother, who is very decrepit now, he's ninety-four. Very good artist, an excellent watercolorist. Um, came with a pal and two other friends, and uh, we, we we didn't know what we were going into, but we went down the Moselle. Um, Germans call it the Mosel, and it uh, it's from northern France, and it goes down to the Rhine. And it was in September, and the vines were all green um, and the, the river is lined with vineyards on both sides and we had a bit of difficulty getting in we blacked our way past the German customs and 
who wanted to see all sorts of things of authority, but they didn't speak any English. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, the, the insurance policy document for the Arthur, you could pull it all out and it was about a yard long and it was written in tiny type. And at the top there was an emblem of an eagle and various scrolls and so on. They were mightily impressed by this. And right at the height of this interview, um, we were waiting in a lock, the lock into the Mosul. A huge steam locomotive came up the, the bank pulling a freight train. And we all rushed about saying, looking for our cameras, saying, my camera, my yeah, camera. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and these guys got very embarrassed by this. And uh, it turned out there was a bit, a bit of translation went on somehow. They were embarrassed there were still steam locomotives, but they hadn't, the tunnels were too tight for them to put the electric wires in. Oh. So they, they, were, they were running these giant steam locomotives up and down, uh, carrying the freight beside the river. Yeah. Um, so in this very strangely conducted session, we managed to ingratiate ourselves and were allowed in. And it was absolutely glorious, scenically it was splendid. We, we called into Luxembourg on one side and various German um, ports. There was quite a lot of freight. The waterway had only comparatively recently been opened. Um, uh, Charles de Gaulle did the opening. And, uh, um, it's a classic um, case of a previously unnavigable a river um, being turned into a major artery mm -hmm. uh, and still be beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I remember oh, we went into the first lock on the German side and it, uh, it was empty. They're huge, these locks. And uh, we went in and tied and there was a click and all the loudspeakers came on. It was the lock keeper addressing us. Wow. And, I, and it was in German, sounds a very aggressive language, and so was English to many people in France. But um, I heard this voice, and it could have been, it could have been uh, one of those terrible addresses from the 1930s. And mm. we looked at one another mm. and said, what's this about? What have we done? And Mike um, said, I better go and see him. And he went to another lock side. Meanwhile, the gates closed. And we went down. When Mike came back, he had to come down about 60 feet or the ladder. Uh, and I said, what's that all about? He said he was just saying that if we want drinking water, the taps to the other side of the, the column there, the first cubic meter's free, but after that it's, uh, it costs so much. You know, it's a terrible thing. You know, our generation thinks too much about Hitler. And, you know, they... It wasn't like that at no, all. No, quite the opposite, yeah. But we stopped at Bern Castell and the, the it was a wine centre, and there was a, amongst the many immaculate facilities on the quay, there was a, a, one of those little golf courses made of concrete where you, you, you're in 45-degree bends. Some crazy golf. Crazy right? golf, yeah, yes. Yeah. And <clears throat> very German. Um, to keep your score, there was a metal lectern with a 
hanging from it, a there was a notepad on the lectern, and there was a, a string with a freshly sharpened pencil <laughs> on it. And I said to my brother, can you imagine this? <laughs> and everyone, the place would be wrecked, wouldn't they? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. that's very true. And, was, and he said something, I mean, yes, in France, they'd have hens in it, and, and the ninth hole would be missing. <laughs> but it was such a, a, and it was such wonderful weather. My brother sat on the stern, and he said it was very good for his technique. He did a watercolour of each reach before oh, he got yeah, to a yeah. Great setting for watercolour yeah. artists. That was um, but great trips of partly a combination of the weather and who you're with. And, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bad company as much as anything. Yeah, companies would be. Oh, no. Perhaps if you're a solo voter. But yeah, certainly, um, yeah, I can. I can I've never seen those waterways, so I'd, uh, I'd like to... Well, I don't know Germany much. We went down the Rhine later, which you're not supposed to at all, but nobody stopped us. And mm. One stage, we were being overtaken by three barges simultaneously, and I counted the number coming towards us. I think it was 16. This was a bomb. And the, the ones coming upstream, and absolutely the engines are thundering, because the current is enormous. And as usually... One of the biggest has decided that side of the river is not good enough and it's going to go to the other side, so right. there is an angle. <laughs> when are you back in France, uh, do you anticipate? Well, my wife uh, is there now. Our eldest has just come back. I'm effectively retired uh, from it now. Oh, right. I'm in danger of having to do a cash flow. The bank. Uh, but I, I do odd things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I may go out with Will, our... Uh, um, some um, maybe in a few days' time, I don't know, just to, to put the engine to bed and so forth. Um, check that it's put to bed. Where, where's that boat? Uh, Oxair. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very attractive uh, city. Mm. Um, it's the, the northern end of the Canal de Nivernais. After that, it's the River Yon, which is a, flows further onward north to join the Seine. Um, but we've had only three operating weeks this year and mm. none last year. We were in the shipyard at the beginning of last year in Paris, which is an expensive experience. And we didn't know COVID was coming, so we, we spent a lot of extra money on a new generator and all sorts of things, which we shouldn't have done. Yeah, so you weren't to know that, were you? And how, how are things looking? Are the American tourists coming back now? It's always been absolutely crucially dependent upon American yeah. tourists. Um, uh, it's looking o looking okay. It only needs some political event to, for it not to be okay. Mm, true. We've nearly gone bust in times past, and other people have gone bust with um, uh, various um, changes in American habits, particularly uh, with the second Iraq war. Yeah. It just stopped coming. Yeah, the, the company that Richard belonged to, um, I bought the Michel from, uh, went bust. Um, they were building two huge river cruises, and many millions of pounds had been borrowed, hmm. and there were no, there were no passengers for them. They had, they had a fleet of fifteen operating barges by then, and they just couldn't um, survive. Hmm. Well, I hope that you know there are no. 
major political events I won't bore you about Brexit but that has been a major political event I can imagine um, I'm diplomatic, I imagine that hasn't helped but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it doesn't help <laughs> thank you so much for your time today it's been great talking to you sorry I've rattled on a bit. not at all it's all been fascinating so, um, so thank you very much okay a pleasure For 45 years, the ABC Leisure Group has been at the forefront of the waterways leisure industry. With 15 strategically placed marinas around the UK, it has hundreds of moorings with modern facilities and a range of benefits. ABC also runs a successful and competitive boat brokerage business. See abcboatsales.com, as well as over 200 luxury hire boats and day boats. Visit abcboathire.com. Furthermore, it offers a range of land-based holiday accommodation, including waterside holiday cottages and caravan parks. Visit abcholidaycottages.com.